everybody welcome ah! <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh hello is that 18 inch visitor wow i love it <laughs> oh i see another one hello is that samantha molly oh my god i hate it sorry guys i need gallery view we have two samanthas here already oh my gosh look at all these wonderful people this is so and exciting dolls. and dolls wow I'm engaging in some sort of like Molly Guilford crossover cosplay. I wore Argyle and I'm in the Molly kitchen set, uh, which was Is that what that is? Yeah. So uh, someone digitized it and put it on the internet. So you can see her watermark uh, somewhere above the Frigidaire. Wow. So thank you to that, that brave person. Thank you, Hero. Wow. Well, welcome, everyone. Sorry for the delay. We're just getting things going. I'm letting a lot of people in. Um, I just want to make sure everyone finds where they need to be. Welcome from my scenic kitchen. This is where I prepared a World War II cake for today. And we'll get into what that means in a moment. But if it looks like the Golden Girls kitchen, that's because it's an interior decorators reimagining or try, attempt to recreate it. This is the kind of historic recreation I want. Where are the Golden Girls reenactments? <laughs> So thanks so much to everyone who is joining us on their Sunday night. I know Sunday nights can be stressful, even if like me, you're working from home in your sweatpants all the time. <laughs> um, won't speak for Allison. Am I wearing sweatpants right now? The world will never know. Um, <laughs> we're so, so appreciative that you guys are here to help us celebrate two years. We wanted to do something fun because the times are dark, but that doesn't mean the way we celebrate our birthday necessarily has to be. Um, so we're just going to basically have a really fun hangout tonight, and we're going to talk about the Free Britney documentary, which hopefully some of you have gotten a chance to check out. And we have, wow, over 20 people joining us. I just want to say how shocked I am at how many people are joining us tonight. I genuinely thought there would be 20 people hanging out with us tonight and that I would be married to one of them. So the <laughs> fact that we have about 200 people who are going to be joining us this evening is so exciting and such a joy. And, you know, before we begin, I just want to note our outfits. You know, we did, of course, like coordinate. I don't know if Allison and I count as like fashionable people. Um, I did just give her a makeup recommendation, which was basically um, I use Oyable A moisturizer and that's about it. Um, and I put lip gloss on before this and Allison told me or chapstick and Allison told me it looked awkward. And, you know, I guess it did. I'll own that. But Allison, what inspired your outfit this evening? So I'm wearing Molly McIntyre Argyle, and I'm very disappointed in myself because I have a gaggle of dolls behind me, but I didn't think to bring them directly up to the screen. So I kind of feel like they're like my backup chorus or like my Greek chorus, but I did not think to have them right here with me. So I'm sort of jealous of everyone who, who had the foresight to do that. Allison, someone's asking if that's a Molly scene behind you. Yes. So despite the fact that I am not, my Molly is here. She's just in, in a separate room. So I used uh, the Molly background. So this is the kitchen where the turn up, you know, crime of the century occurs. And I'm surrounded by the American Girls Party Book, the American Girl Handbook, and what I'm calling the memoir of the decade, Through the Storm by Lynn Spears. Okay. When you told me that you read that for tonight, I was genuinely in shock. First of all, that this book exists. So shout out to whoever published or greenlit this project. Thank you. You're the real <laughs> hero. Um, but you know, we're excited to get into that. I will say I'm a little bit disappointed because Allison, I don't want to come to a party unless I can have a gift, you know, in the spirit of the golden girls. And I did get you something for tonight, but it's not ready yet. Oh no. So cameo, like you are on blast. Like <gasps> I will find when this thing arrives, I will share it, but it's not here yet today. So I'm sorry in advance, but just to start, like, I'm so amazed that we made it two years because I read a statistic once that said most podcasts fail after two years because people get bored and give up. Um, so like, congrats <laughs> to us, I guess, on still doing this. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy to see so many people here and a little astounded by how many people I recognize because I read your names and the messages and it's exciting to have people contact here. Um, we also have our friend Logan. 
um, who is maybe the Hi, only person uh, who's age appropriate for the content that we review on our podcast, uh, being of age. But it's really wonderful to have people who continually want to connect with us. And this is kind of a turning point in that after the next few episodes, we're transitioning to talk about someone we didn't read when we were children. So it'll be interesting to have people go on that kind of detour with us. Kaya will be new to what we do, but I think a lot of the same kind of ideas will translate. We'll get to watch the movies and talk to different folks, but uh, Molly is of course the pinnacle. So we have to celebrate her appropriately. We do. And I just want to say like, it's so amazing to think how we started this podcast what was going on at that time. Like I was finishing my finishing grad school at an undisclosed location. But, you know, and we just did this kind of for fun. And I truly, truly, I'm not kidding when I say this. I really thought it would just be our group of friends that we watched The Bachelor with. Hello, content creators who are here tonight. Um, That they would be listening, like maybe out of pity, maybe out of solidarity and, you know, Anna and, and so on. But the fact that so many of you have found us and that we have this really cool, what feels to me like community and friend group is just so awesome. So thanks so much. It just feels like like what a gift in our lives. So, and I forgot to say that I'm, I am wearing a Janet Jackson t-shirt tonight <laughs> because I just want to be in solidarity with everyone who has been harmed by JT. He who will not be named at, for the rest of this episode. Thank you. I don't own a Britney Spears t-shirt or I would be wearing that, but I'll fix that. And also Allison, I didn't remember that it was two years ago, also two years and some change that our friend Tanya, who is possibly here tonight, um, brought us as her plus two, I guess, to a Britney (laughs) Spears concert. And, you know, that was truly a life-changing moment in our lives. We were sort of like two people who look like tweens masquerading in a trench coat to go see (laughs) Britney Spears. And she took us out to dinner, which was It was like, oh my God, it felt like a date. I was like, what is this? And I didn't feel cool enough to be there. I sort of felt like I should have like whipped out my flip phone and shown my age, but you know, we were there with people who were deep fans. There were a lot of people wearing costumes from multiple eras in Britney's life, which I have a ton of respect for, including the person who showed up in an entirely, you know, like the red pleather look. Or We were in costume. We were in costume. And I think I have that photo somewhere, which I will share with the group if I can find it real quick. But we were doing our own homage. Although now, Allison, it does feel a little bit fraught because it's like, are we also doing an homage to Justin Timberlake? I said I wouldn't say his name, but I failed. We are not. And I will not forget that we did see him live at one point, um, which is something that we will bury from the record. Someone asked if uh, there was a giant snake involved in any of the costumes that we saw. And yes, there was. I think something that was amazing about being in the space and actually seeing her, regardless of whether you're a fan of her particular work or not, as we kind of get into the documentary, I think what's amazing about the fan space that she creates is it felt like everyone was there for her and not at the same time. Like people were just dancing. People were having a great time with each other. She's not singing. So it's also like the pressure is off. Like you can sing more than she is at the performance. And in retrospect, like I love that act of resistance for her. She was like, I will not be singing at at my It was honestly like I am calling out the sound people at that concert because they did rob her of that mystery by awkwardly. She was not singing a note the entire concert, which bothered literally nobody. And then midway through the concert and you see this tour actually in the Free Britney documentary. It's after it was her Vegas show that she then brought on tour. And she always brings she brings someone up from the stage and she's like, hey, Connecticut. And it's like when the mic transitioned from her mimicking to actual real mic, it was so loud by comparison that it sort of outed her and I just respect everyone there because all of us pretended like we didn't notice (laughs) and you know that was really nice and then she did make a man wear a dog collar and walked him across the stage and you know that was a powerful moment too I'm sure for everybody yes so our plan is to talk a little bit about the recent documentary that was created by the New York Times and put out through FX and Hulu talk a bit about framing Britney Spears And then also to transition, I know this is kind of a strange combination, but um, in my head, this is called Just Desserts, to transition to 1940s cooking culture and to talk a bit about the ways in which people had to adapt to make wartime recipes. Um, Spoiler, I didn't cook for tonight because I feel like 
for all of the austerity culture that's been forced on us throughout 2020 and 2021. Like I will not push myself any further. I think that that's wise. And I feel like in a way, like you were trans, you were like honoring or channeling Brittany by doing that. Because if we learned anything from this documentary, it's that millennial women have been under unfair scrutiny by the media and I'll say like by themselves. So for you giving yourself that space and a break, like good for you, what a powerful moment. And, you know, did I look up a recipe for this? Yes, I did. Did I then text that recipe to Anna? Yes, I did. Did I intend for us to bake this together today? Yes. And Anna basically hit me with like, I'll take it from here. So I have a photo of the cake that she produced, which looks great. I can't take any credit for it, but you know, Allison, what does it say about us that we asked everyone to do this and then we basically didn't do it? So I think it shows that leadership comes out to the front. So I think part of this, you know, wow. when we when we started this podcast, we first talked a lot about, you know, how much do we need to explain about ourselves and, and kind of why we're doing this? And there was the 10,000 foot level of you have training as a historian of the book. And then I studied domesticity. And while you are both an author and an avid reader, like I, I, I don't even know where my Swiffer is. Like I don't have that kind of skill set actually unlocked. So it is purely academic for me. Um, but getting to do this and getting to kind of like flex some of those muscles, like I got very deep this week into 1940s eggless recipes. I was like, I need to really commit a lot of this up here, not for use, but for this podcast. You know, I think it's good to know those boundaries. So it's good for yourself that you knew what you needed. So that's good. Okay. So do we want to get in then to Britney Spears? Yes. And we are watching your comments, your questions. Um, I love that someone knew the name of the snake. Thank you very much Thank for you. sharing that with us. Wow. Um, and we are going to uh, call out some specific examples later of things that folks have shared with us, um, including a story about trench pie, trench cake. I apologize. That sounds both terrifying, but also exciting. And Yeah, I can't wait to hear about sort of the culinary experiments that have happened as a result of, again, this experiment that Allison and I asked for but didn't actually participate in. So, you know, I'm calling us out. Okay, so we both watched this documentary now several times each, and we've read a lot of stuff. We've dipped into the archive. This seems like the perfect week for us to be doing this because there's so much going on that's inviting us to think about the experience of female starlets or specifically musicians in the late 90s, early aughts. Of course, I am talking about Brandy and Monica reenacting their, you know, legendary exchange at the start of The Boy Is Mine. If you've not been on Brandy's TikTok and seen this, please check it out. It's iconic. I'm glad they haven't addressed like the punch hermed around the world. You know, there was, it did come to blows between them at one point. Glad they worked it out, but you know, it, it was a different time in a lot of ways. And I think the documentary invites us to kind of think about something that we, a, a world that we took as a given as consumers and sort of unpack what it meant for Brittany and kind of what it means for us still. Yeah. And I'll share a bit about what I learned through Lynn. I'm calling her Lynn because we're kind of like we're on like friends first, now. We're on a first name basis. So when I learned that Lynn Spears had published a book, I was interested in that and kind of the the chronology around her decision to do so. So Lynn and Brittany co-authored a book together prior to Lynn releasing what's sort of a memoir of the family um, and kind of a, a family biography about how that family came to be famous. And it's called Through the Storm, kind of how they dealt with like fame in the early aughts. And I think what's kind of striking looking back literally 13 years later is how little has changed since she published that book. So this book Mm -hmm. was really written in, in the very immediate aftermath of Britney Spears being put under a conservatorship and the whole family dynamic changing. So of course she couldn't have known when she put this book out that her daughter would still be in this situation. So like their relationship has changed quite a bit since that kind of bad time for them in 2007, 2008. But now a lot of what she's describing about what Brittany is encountering, what is happening to her is still the case. I do want to start because this was a shock to me. I was like, okay, how are we going to build bridges between these stories? And I shouldn't have worried because Lynn Spears does it for me. So Lynn Spears is descended from a World War II war bride. Interesting. 
Interesting. Tell so us more. I feel like I'm shilling for this book the way we typically shill for like- yeah, Are you getting a cut? What's happening here? <laughs> Um, for, for locally made, uh, seltzers that also will not sponsor us. No. So please call um, me. That's all I want to say. Just call <laughs> me. That's it. So she tells a story early on about her family and growing up in, in a pretty rural area of Louisiana, but having this very tight connection in this very tight community. And there's this interesting contrast that comes out between her family, like raising, like raising a family and also being of a family that's from this tight community where everybody knows each other. And there's this certain kind of surveillance that comes with that, but there's also care. And then in her short lifetime, her daughter becomes this mega star. And then her other daughter becomes a Disney star and a Nickelodeon star and how they kind of have to grapple with that. But she has memories of her mother like sobbing because she grew up in London and gets brought to Louisiana to work on the family farm. Um, and her mother also tells this iconic story of how during the Blitz, she didn't want to go to the bomb shelter because it smelled bad. This is like straight out of the Molly and Respect. Emily playbook. She's like, it smelled bad. I wasn't interested. <laughs> So the family goes on without her. She's a child. The family goes on without her. They leave her? They leave her. She's okay because she gets married uh, and then becomes, you know, grandma and grandpa to Britney Spears. But they leave her and eventually she has to get taken out because the bombing is so significant that night. But she lives through the Blitz and then moves to this small town in Louisiana where her best friend is also a war bride. And together... They raise Britney Spears, whose favorite cake is made by that other war bride. Oh my God. That's it's like, I'm, wow. I'm, all the pieces it's coming together. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> You're now leaving the episode. Thanks. <laughs> um, wow. That's a lot to take in um, at once. But wow. I wonder if Britney Spears like had an American Girl doll or what we know that, that even. She did. Which one did she have? She had Felicity. Where's our Where's our Felicities here wow. tonight? I know Felicity I see at stands. least one. What yeah. does it all mean? So she it's not famously, what you think. It's not what you think. Sorry, this book has taken over my brain as if like I'm preparing for a Britney Spears oral exam. So when Britney Spears famously uh, was photographed for the January 1, 1999 cover of Rolling Stone, which still goes for like 20 bucks on Amazon because um, I was looking at it. Fair. So. When she's photographed for that, Lynn Spears claims that the family was kind of tricked. That's the famous cover where Brittany is laying down in her childhood bedroom um, and her like shirt has kind of been pushed up. And it's a very, very sort of like exposing photograph of her. And Lynn claims that the family was tricked and the photographer closed the door and they didn't know that she would be posed that way. But in subsequent photos in that series, there's a Felicity doll on her top shelf. Wow. I didn't, I missed that. Wow. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's hard to kind of put yourself in the position of a young Britney Spears who literally like something that really struck me about the beginning of the documentary was it takes you to the situation of her right at the cusp of fame and you see her on star search and she's asked immediately. The only question she's asked is, do you have a boyfriend? So you see the ways that even then like Ed McMahon, RIP, I guess, like sexualize her as like an eight, nine year old girl and yet the media perpetually the narrative about her is that like she's creating the sexualization she's inviting that when it's clearly the system that she's in so she's sort of like in a bind from the beginning but it's it's interesting to see the depiction of her as someone who's really innocent and I loved the inclusion of her I guess like assistant Yes, Fee. as a talking head. Who? Uh, so she is Felicia, who is famously also in the mystery show podcast. She's the person that oh my started. God. That's like that's like a separate... don't even. That's a whole separate thing. But all we're gonna say is, if you have not been following what's going on with Gimlet Media in the past week, that there's a podcast called Reply All that maybe some of you have listened to. I'm a kind of on and off listener. They just started this whole series about Bon Appetit, and then come to find out. Um, Eric Eddings, who hosted a show called The Nod, which unfortunately was on Quibi and now no longer exists, um, called out the fact that it was rich that they were doing a show about um, 
inequity behind the scenes at Bon Appetit when actually that was the situation at Gimlet Media and that the person reporting the story actually had worked actively against union organizing at Gimlet and Spotify. So it kind of has blown up. But to me, what it comes back to is like justice for Starly, because when I first got into sound stuff and podcasting, I was inspired by Mystery Show and Starly, who's the host of it. But the best episode of that show is about Britney Spears. So if you've never heard Mystery Show, do yourself a favor after this and go get the episode about Britney Spears. And the premise is an author whose second book did not sell well. Um, Britney Spears was photographed holding the book and she wanted to know if Britney Spears had actually read it or how she got it. So Starly then tries to solve that mystery. So it was an excellent show. I'm still very upset about it being canceled for absolutely no reason, especially because then Gimlet greenlit a show that was the exact same premise hosted by a man. And I will never let this go. It's really not okay. That's all I'm going to say. So Starly was right about kind of more than we knew. And she's been posting kind of vague and and cryptic statuses lately because she, I mean, she didn't prophesize a lot of that. She was saying things that were objectively true and people didn't listen to her. Um, Mystery show, the, the Britney episode is really so brilliant because almost a third of the audio, I think, is Starly actually talking to someone who does customer service for Ticketmaster and is handling her call to try to get a meet and greet with Britney. Um, and it's this conversation where she kind of talks about like dreams and hopes. And then it transitions to her actually going to the meet and greet and realizing that most of the meet and greet is with this woman, Felicia. It's not actually with Brittany. And that Brittany is spoken of as if she's sort of like a, a caged attraction. Like, you will not hug Brittany. You will resist the urge to hug Brittany. You will not touch Brittany. And she finally gets up the courage to ask if she can actually talk to Brittany and ask her this question. Um, but that photo of Brittany with the book to feel stuff was taken right at the same time that Lynn was prepping for this book. Your attachment to Lynn in this project continues to inspire and whatever she's Thank paid you. <laughs> you, I hope it was worth it. So do you have any other great takeaways from this book that can help us sort of understand what we saw in this documentary? So she actually, so I think part of what's shrewd about it is she makes this point that people are keen to say, like, you knew what you were signing up for. And I think she's very smart to remind people that Britney Spears was 10 years old when her rise to fame started. And Britney actually stepped away and attended high school, which is talked about quite a bit in the documentary as well. And that there was nothing inevitable about her becoming this very big pop star. And something I started thinking on my rewatch of the of the documentary, and I just saw someone mention Diana, which I'm assuming is Princess Diana, is how many people have not just been hurt or or mentally disturbed by paparazzi, but the extent to which they've killed people, right? Mm-hmm. And the extent to which like the violence that they have enacted against people and in their lives. And I was thinking of when Princess Diana died in 1997. That was like our American girl year. That was Mm -hmm. like the year I started getting into all of this stuff. I don't think because of the way the media was, I think that there were starlets, like obviously there's been Marilyn Monroe. I don't think a girl, Britney Spears age, like she was a teenager at that point, could have ever actually predicted that there would be such a machine that photos of her would be worth a million dollars. Like, I don't think that's fair to say she could have figured that out. I don't think so. And I think even historically, I can't think of another teenage American starlet who had the same sort of like magnitude of stardom, but also the obsession with their personal life in the same way. You know, famously, Britney Spears started as part of the Mickey Mouse Club. But if you think about the original Mickey Mouse Club star, Annette Funicello, who was like a massive star in her moment. Yeah, I'm making an Annette Funicello comparison. Deal with it, Allison. This is what you get. She was a massive star in the 1950s. Allison, I'm not even looking at you. I know. I'm like taking us to an Annette Funicello place. As a quick insider baseball, I often mute myself when I'm recording because when you say things like that and I'm like, I, like it gets cut out because I'm muted. Or I usually just say Allison will start laughing so hard, which is why I say Allison's losing it because I think it, it probably sounds weird if you just hear a lot of silence, but it's really yes. because when both of us start laughing really, really hard, you just don't hear anything because we're both like falling over. Okay, but back to my point. Yes, and Not letting you take me down. <laughs> 
And that was a massive start. But at the same time, if you think about stardom in the 1950s, if anybody, you could expect a certain amount of privacy around certain parts of your life. Or if there were things about you that you didn't want out there, all of the gossip culture was controlled to some extent by news organizations who you might maybe say bribe to keep something quiet or a studio might make a deal. I think what the documentary is pointing us to and the Princess Diana moment is that's the beginning, I think, of a shift towards you know, the rise of the paparazzi is being able to work outside of these news networks and also then social media coming along. It's like, as they say in the documentary, she can really be her own. She can put out stories about herself for the first time. They go direct to her fans in a different way. So, you know, I think the Diana moment in comparison is really important and one that probably like would have been interesting for them to bring into this documentary too. I also think there's, um, there's a moment that I kind of wish had been edited differently or maybe just kind of like with a different talking head, but they interview a pretty famous um, paparazzo who, and I apologize if I'm not using the the correct like singular plural, um, but he pretty famously has like attacked Kanye West and, and he is the person whose vehicle was physically attacked by Britney Spears with the umbrella. And they, they allow him, I think, to talk about that moment on his own terms and to talk about the fact that um, she attacked his vehicle and kind of where that came from. And they ask him point blank, you know, did, did she ever tell you to go away? And then you have footage of her telling them to go away. And he says, no, you know, she never. And they push him a little bit. But I think he's he's allowed to get away with talking very casually about the real harm that he caused in her life. And I can only imagine like the night when that happens. I don't think I ever knew the context of that night, which is like she's having this heartbreaking back and forth with her ex about her children. And like so much of this is about her losing custody of her children and and losing control of access to them. And they completely, I think, kind of let him get a pass mm-hmm. on what he did to instigate that moment. Like he's he's following her to a Jiffy Lube. I don't want to talk to anyone at Jiffy Lube ever. And also the casual way with which he dismissed everything he was doing was really shocking to me. So the fact that he was like, you know, there, he was like, well, she never told me she wanted to be left alone. And it was like, well, didn't she tell Remember when she said, will you leave me alone? And, you know, he's like, oh, well, that was like for one day. She didn't mean like forever. And it's like, no, I'm pretty sure she did mean forever. And I think the ways that the paparazzi are so insidious and and it gets to a point which I wish the documentary had made, which is that in a way we're all complicit. So what's so damning about this economy that makes money off of Britney Spears and even and especially when she's not doing well or she's unhappy and whatever else is going on we're all implicated in it. So I read us weekly, no shame. Where do they get those photos? You know? And so I'm a part of it. And I wish at the end of this, instead of, I wish they'd also complicated what free Britney is about and sort of like their methods because, and the two hosts of that podcast that they feature, which full disclosure, I've never listened to, so I can't comment on its quality, but the fact that they're the whole premise of their show from what I gather watching this was that they literally obsess over every Instagram post that she Mm. puts out. So their obsession with her, they're gazing at her with the same intensity in a different way than the paparazzi. And yet, because they say they're good actors and they're doing it because they want to free her, that's different. But, you know, in what ways is or is it not different? In some ways, it's all an invasion of her privacy. And the ways that it's so seductive is that it implicates all of us in it as consumers because we want to know, even if we're watching her because we wish her well. I think it gets at the question of how much control she has about what she puts out. And I think social media has muddied a lot of those waters because we don't always fully understand what has come directly from a celebrity and what has been very carefully calculated by a team. And I think that's where like the iPhone notes or like the notes apology, I think now it rings us so insincere when I think Mm. it had a moment of being like, this is actually from my telephone. This is actually something I'm, I'm doing with my own hands to type, to communicate with you. And I think now it rings rather far. False, right? Like one, because it's not necessarily an accessible way to talk to your fan base. And two, because everybody does it, right? So it's it doesn't have, I think, the same meaning. 
But they make the claim in the documentary that she has, or there's the impression that she has some control of what she puts out over Instagram. Like just last week, there was the question of what she was trying to communicate with Scrabble. In a way, it's like this is getting into the territory of like not JFK assassination theories, but close where people are saying like, well, like if you see this photograph and you look at the shadow, it means X, Y, Z thing. And, you know, sometimes Britney Spears showing you that a rose petal is actually made of soap is just her showing you that a rose petal is made from soap, which is how the documentary ends. You know, I, you know, fully support Britney Spears. I hope she is happy. And if this conservatorship is not doing it, and it seems like she and her dad have a lot of daddy issues, then, you know, I hope she gets a different conservator or gets ends the conservatorship altogether. But, you know, it's it's difficult watching this, even and especially when you're supporting the thing that you're the mission that you're seeing in front of you, mm-hmm. the argument that's being made to say, like, yes, all of their arguments check out all the evidence checks out when really, as Dave Holmes, I think, says in the documentary, like none of us really know what's going on behind the scenes. And also that a state attorney who says, you know, I haven't seen the medical report. It's you can't know what you can't know. And I think that's such a really important point, not to denigrate the Free Britney movement or what's going on there, but just to say, you know, I think there there needed to be more in this documentary to sort of couch a lot of what we heard. Like I would have asked those girls, women who host the podcast, you know, what is their true intention and what kind of thinking have they done around their relationship to Britney Spears, if they really admire and love Britney Spears and they have identified the lack of privacy in her life as a major issue for her, why are they compounding that by literally putting out an episode a week in which they overanalyze what she dares to share on Instagram? Like, why are you inviting more speculation and surveillance on her life? I mean, it's it's a sliding scale because we're also living in a time when Kanye West paid a paparazzo for the universal rights to a photograph he took of Whitney Houston's bathroom after her death. Um, Disgusting. So, I mean, there's just so much bad behavior and such lack of regulation around what's going on, both on the internet and through the paparazzi industry, that it's just hard to see Britney Spears ever escaping sort of this cage where people, as long as people profit off of her, Mm. it's like even bad news is good news if you're making money. But I, th- I think, you know, based on some of the reading that we've done in the past year, there's still nothing inevitable about the particular trajectory that she took, right? So Jessica Simpson, as we read in, in her memoir, she had her own challenges to deal with, right? And like she came up in a very, very similar way, was peers with a lot of the same people. And something that folks have pointed out is the net worth of people who've taken this different trajectory is quadruple Britney Spears. So Britney Spears' net worth has not changed really at all since around the time that Lynn wrote her book. It's hovered around $58, $59 million, which for her class of celebrity is is nothing. And and I'm not saying that that's nothing in, in the world but she has not made what other people have made. So it's like there has been a jump off the tracks at some point. And I think part of what we're, we're learning, or I think we're saying we're learning, but we knew it's very hard to watch that footage and not see a person in pain. And I think mm. there's a lot of retro, like we were 10 when some of this started to come out or 15, but I think there's a lot of reimagining of that moment by people who continue to work in culture where they say like, we didn't know. And you look at the the people who are hovering over Britney Spears as she's trying to eat and she's crouching like, like an animal that's been backed into a corner. And, and I don't say that in a demeaning way. I say that in a way of like a person who absolutely has no control over their lives. And I think, you know, because Mariah Carey has had a platform to tell her own story or other people have had a platform, heck, even on The Bachelor, they give people more space to actually tell their own story, at least somewhat in, in their own words on some of the problematic dates. But she is kind of like trapped in this space. And I think people who run the Instagram, they feel like the only way to connect to a person they love is through these coded messages. Like, I think people see it as this kind of dire situation, and, and this is the only way to get at her. Um, she is, like, she's not the only one, 
but she is in a completely bizarre situation where she not only has to self-fund her own lawyers and her conservator, but her conservator's lawyers. And I was looking like, what's the total amount of money um, that's like under conservatorship in the country today? And they estimate there's about one and a half million people who are under conservatorship and over 80% of them are in their 60s and 70s or older. So mm-hmm. she's, she's an outlier there. But the total amount of money that's under conservatorship control, I'm not saying she's like a good percentage of it, but it's not bad. Like that's, that's shocking. But like that tells you something. It really does. I had worked at a law firm for the year between high school and college for a variety of reasons I won't go into, but my job was I paid bills of people's whose estates we held in trust or conservatorship. And what I'll just say off the dome is like whatever hourly wage they were charging that person for my work, like I wasn't worth it, but, um, <laughs> I wasn't worth it. I'm but, sure you, you know, were. Well, I mean, a 17-year-old who's paying your bills and monitoring your investments, like, I wouldn't want that. But regardless, you know, I think there's a lot that goes on with conservatorship that they talk about, hint at in this documentary, about how complicated it is when your family members are the people who often get conservatorship over you, who then sometimes financially benefit off of you. And as somebody says in this documentary, you know, like this, at one point, the conservator, the co-conservator, who's an attorney, applies for a raise from the court. Mm -hmm. And in his um, report or his um, appeal, he says, you know, basically this conservatorship has turned into its own business. It's turned into a for-profit business model. And that's wrong. I mean, I think Britney Spears is an extraordinary case. And in many ways, celebrity examples, celebrity stories are interesting because it's sort of the world in a grain of sand, a very privileged, exceptional grain of sand. But it should tip us off to a lot of these issues with people who are not famous, who don't have mm-hmm. that kind of um, agency or access or money. And, you know, I think it, it is worth, worth thinking about. I have to say too, there's, there's been a few comments where people are saying like, this has, I think, brought a lot of attention and hopefully even more attention. Um, someone said in the comments to the way that a lot of people are infantilized by the way that these systems are, are set up. And I kept thinking that there were so many similarities between this and coverture, right? The way historically some people have been legally covered by a spouse's identity that that you almost cease to exist or the way that, you know, amendments were able to continue the legacies of slavery by controlling people um, so much. We did get a question about the comparison between Brittany and Amanda Bynes, Mm -hmm. which I can't speak to at all. I actually don't know a lot about her. I was a viewer of the Amanda Bynes show, All That. Any fellow viewers of All That here tonight, that foundational TV program? Um, you know, where are they all today? I forget. My favorite character was the one who did like the, she pretended she was a principal, actually not Amanda Bynes or Keenan, who were also amazing, but she never glowed up in the way they did. And it wasn't fair. Yes. Lori Beth Denberg. Thank you, Julia. Um, <laughs> she was amazing. She wasn't, I'm sure still is amazing, but something that I think could be interesting to kind of bring all of this together. So Amanda Bynes, who has had a very public, Um, very public struggles, the nature of which I don't want to speculate about, but it's been framed in terms of mental illness or substance abuse issues. And I don't know the truth of whatever has gone on with her. Um, Mm -hmm. But also people like Lindsay Lohan, I'm seeing in the chat and even taking it back to Shirley Temple, because I saw there was an earlier question about what happened with Shirley Temple. Something that I'm interested with in this documentary and with all of these women is what do you do if you're a woman who has been really attacked by the media, unfairly presented through the lens of misogyny and all kinds of stuff? How do you reclaim control of your narrative? Part of this documentary shows that Britney Spears did this. And it's very it's actually not interrogated by the filmmaker. How did this happen that after the conservatorship, she's suddenly back to winning MTV awards? She's working again. What changed? And if the conservatorship is bad, surely they don't want us to think it's just that her dad is holding the keys. What did Britney Spears do to reclaim her own narrative? She makes the Mm -hmm. MTV documentary for the record. She does some other things. What do these other women do or not do? And does that tell us anything about their ability to kind of survive in this truly toxic system? And I think that is partly the key, finding some agency, even if not over your finances or your choices, over the story that you tell about yourself and where you've been. I think actually Demi Lovato is the greatest parallel here. 
Um, I'm really interested to see her documentary, which is going to debut later this month. Um, Allison, as you may remember, I did basically very late one night, sent you and I think Tanya a link. It was like, you must watch this Demi Lovato documentary right now. It's on YouTube. It's free. The first documentary that came out a couple years ago. But Demi Lovato is someone who is very practiced at recovering from um, public public knowledge, things that are public knowledge about her battles with addiction or her relationship with substance abuse and um, disordered eating and all kinds of things that she feels like she has to publicly comment on. Of course, you could just say that could be private. She Mm -hmm. has decided to make it public as a way of raising awareness about these issues. But I think also there's something in it for her to reclaim her own narrative, to tell her version of her own story. And that's also what Shirley Temple did. I've read her autobiography, which I do recommend because it is insane. It's a wild ride. She does become a conservative Republican putting that over here, but she serves as an ambassador in two different administrations, which is fascinating, but she talks about, yeah, Allison, I don't care. I've I've taken you on Funicello. I'm deep on Shirley Temple. I'm not apologizing. This is my truth. And I'm reframing my own narrative. Okay. But nope, I'm muting you. Nope. But let me just say this one thing about Shirley Temple that I think shows how people who are savvy reframe their own narrative Famously, in every interview she does in her later years when she's transitioned to like, hi, I'm global ambassador Shirley Temple Black, she famously says of her parents with whom she actually had a really bad um, relationship because they stole all her money, um, that she was penniless. And that's what made her a Republican. She didn't think anyone should regulate or have control over her finances. She says, my dream was to be a drummer. I wanted to become a drummer because I have really strong rhythm. Like when I learned how to tap dance, I learned like it was evident to people in my life. She got a drum kit. She loved drumming. That's what she wanted to do. And her parents were like, absolutely not. But she reframes this as like, but I persisted and I did drumming through my tap dancing. And then I like encouraged my daughter to be in the Melvins, which is like a really rad band in the eighties. And all to say, I think the way people live or die is by reframing their story, which is why Amanda Bynes has not fared as well, because I think she has not found a way to connect with people about making her narrative seem universal in the way that Demi Lovato has, which in a way is interesting that Britney Spears has not done that. I mean, she part of the issue of this documentary is like we never hear directly from her. I think a difference with Brittany is she's treated very much like a, a corporation that's too big to fail. Right. If if she I mean, I think at the base of this, if she was not making a lot of people a lot of money, the stakes wouldn't be so high. Like, like, let's just be candid. I think I think there is a, a place and a time for people who need support and are reaching out for support to get that from people, right? And then I think there's a lot of infantilizing and a lot of ableism that's built into that system. And I think that's part of what Brittany is on the receiving end of. When you, so I'll just say like, we we did some writing about uh, Felicity and Mrs. Merriman and the way that we had connected that to the yellow wallpaper. And we got some like very valid feedback that was like, I'm not really sure how you're making those connections. So we had to explain further. We were saying our point is not that this fictional 10 year old from Virginia's mother had hysteria in 1775. The point is that the way that that scene is written feels almost transhistorical because when women are inconvenient, when they are not doing Mm -hmm. the things that people around them want to do, she's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the fastest way to shut down a conversation to say like, I'm not interested in this person. And I wish that the documentary had had even more content about the way that when she had the space, she, she was so savvy. Right. Mm-hmm. She was saying, no, I make my own deals. I review my own deals. Someone's mentioning the way that the interview with Brian Spears, her older brother, gave them chills. And, and I, I totally agree. He completely plays this off as a kind of joke. And he does this thing, which I think is very classic in families with very deep misogyny, which is they joke about women having all the power. And mm-hmm. it's a joke. Right. Like it's, it's not true. It's very obviously not true. 
Um, yeah, but also I think there's something culturally where men can fail publicly and repeatedly and it's fine. And we always give them a second chance or for in a lot of cases, whereas if a woman struggles in any way or even points out that they've been the victim of discrimination or anything of the kind, it's like, whoa, you're insane. Like not for nothing insane. put out that song, Drive My Drive Myself Crazy or whatever that was called, where the video was shot in a fake insane asylum. And for them, it was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Like, we're putting on this pose. We're pretending that, like, love has made us crazy. Like, I don't remember what inspired this at the time or who greenlit this PR, but that happened. But for Brittany, it's like, it's sort of stunning to think that one accusation of that became so damning in her life in Mm -hmm. a way that, like, not for nothing, but you could put out an album like Man of the Woods or whatever the heck that's called, which is truly one of the worst albums ever made. Listeners, just trust me on this. For everyone, I listen to that album front to back. It's terrible. And yet not only will he be allowed to make another album, but people will forgive whatever cult, like, whatever his product uh, mistakes have been. And also there are people who have immediately jumped on the bandwagon of like, you're so brave when he put out that apology 20 years after the fact. So, you know, it just, I have a lot of compassion for Britney Spears after watching this. And there is a clip, we'll post the link of it. I'll get the link to it. But of the For the Record documentary that they reference in for the Free Britney documentary, which was right after the conservatorship went into effect. And it's the only video we Mm. have of Britney commenting on her experience. And there's a scene online that I guess wasn't in the documentary where they take her and pretend that they're bringing her to a surprise. And it's like in the middle of nowhere. And she's like, are you making me go hiking? Like terrified. And I was like, I feel this. And in fact, she says, um, they bring her to like an open road and her car is there. And she's, they said to her, someone off camera says, when do you feel most free? And she says, when I'm driving um, and I'm alone in my car and I haven't been allowed to drive. And it's like, that's such a basic thing. Although now we can maybe relate to that. Those of us who have been working at home for months, like remember when you drove in your car and listened to podcasts or music, like, wow. But, um, and you just see her driving in her car and it's like, this is so dark. Like she can't even drive in her car and feel alone or feel Mm. free. So dark. Okay. I want to catch up on any questions we may have missed here, but so if anyone has any thoughts or feelings about the documentary, um, sorry, Shannon Murphy says, quote, that is dark. Sorry. I agree. It is dark. Um, if you want to share things that you felt were significant, Yeah. Um, Somebody brought up a great comparison to Taylor Swift, who's had to rewrite her Mm -hmm. own narrative two or three times now. And I also think it's interesting that both Taylor and Britney got famous through songs written by Max Martin. And I think that would be an interesting piece to bring into this, too, is like the men behind the scenes who have written the songs in some cases or the collaborators who have helped frame people's narratives, particularly young women's narratives and how they're different. Max Martin's music contributions to Taylor Swift are, I think, very different than what he did for Britney Spears. Um, You know, if anyone wants to throw in their favorite Britney Spears songs into the chat, I know Tanya has strong feelings about this. Um, (laughs) Lucky, yep, knew that was going to come up. Lucky is a jam for the ages. Toxic, can't even talk about it. It's so good. That music video is iconic. I just want to say sometimes is my favorite Britney Spears song. And I know that's not a popular pick and I don't care because she had that. She even made the short sleeve turtleneck work in that video. And remember there was that guy in that video who ends up being in a bunch of her videos from that era. I don't know if anyone's with me. I don't like that one. (laughs) It's in space. Speaking of, remember in Oops, I Did It Again. I've been listening to Britney Spears pretty much for 24 hours straight. There, she. What's truly wild about Britney Spears is she keeps in that track the exchange she has with the actor about Titanic. Yes. So yes. I was in the car yesterday, and this came on, and she's like, "Oh, isn't that?" And he's like, "Yep, I went to the ocean, like got it for you." And Anna, who has not seen the music video ever, was like, "What? What? What does this have to do with the song?" And I was like, "There, it doesn't. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with the song. It's about the music video." But she kept it in the song for all time, and it's like I thank her for that. What a time capsule! Beautiful. Wow, getting a lot of a lot of oops. I did it again. We have a wonderful um, young Samantha fan. I think we're all young at heart, but we have a, a younger Samantha fan who's who's showing us her friend, which is really lovely. Um, Amazing. 
And I love her hair. She looks so wonderful. I want to also compliment her on her brains, but um, that doll's hair looks like really lovely. Like she's really loved, which is nice. That is nice. And I just want to say somebody (laughs) has said in the chat about, oops, I did again, being like sort of framing an abusive relationship. And that is true. And I would just say that a lot of Britney's songs, particularly the early ones, you will find a lot of problematic content, including like I was born to love you, you know, and things that, you know, if you had a young girl in your life now, you wouldn't necessarily want them to take on a lot of that messaging there is also a song on her first album called email my heart and like that does warm my heart because it takes me back to a time when people were still amazed by this technology wow yeah i mean i've been watching a lot of and i feel like and helen peterson has um, wrote a really great piece on this documentary that we'll share but part of what she said was if we can get a 10-part michael jordan documentary Mm. we need at least a 10-part on britney spears and apparently since this came out netflix has greenlit a britney spears documentary so we are getting more britney content But I do wonder kind of like what other topics Allison or anyone here tonight thinks should have been covered in this documentary that we need to kind of further understand, like not only Britney Spears and what sort of has happened to her, but what she has meant for the culture. Mm -hmm. And Helen Peterson makes this great point that part of what's so fascinating about Britney Spears is that she seems like the hottest girl at your high school, but not like a celebrity you would never meet. Like she seems like like the most beautiful girl at your high school who you would at least know. So she seems somewhat attainable, even as she's not. Um, And, and kind of like unpacking what that means and the ways that Brittany, you know, made different choices in her career for which she's responsible, but the ways that largely the media has been unkind to her. So I'd love to know kind of like Allison, what you think, what other things we should focus on in a, like in your dream Britney Spears documentary. You know, someone brought up Jamie Lynn, who is Britney's significantly younger sister. And I I think that's honestly a great avenue to explore because really also around the same time that Britney was starting to um, really be attacked a lot more viciously uh, by members of the paparazzi, Jamie Lynn was pregnant and Jamie Lynn left. I think she was with Nickelodeon at that point um, and has her first daughter. And I think that was like a really difficult time for the whole family and for Jamie Lynn, especially because she was you know, treated terribly by the media. But in a lot of ways, she's had more of a private life and she's always wanted to pursue acting, which is something that she's had a greater opportunity to do. Not, not saying that her life has been easy by any respect, but I think there are people who they just ignite sort of like every culture button for us. Right. And I, I think Britney Spears was sort of the epitome of that at the right time. And the commentary in the in the documentary that sort of like she and Justin were like an it couple for the country and and they were people that were being really held up. I think one of the smartest documentaries um, that looks at like the role that those stories have in our culture was actually the docuseries done on Scott Peterson, who is husband of Lacey Peterson. And what they did was they interspersed the uh, really, really excessive coverage of Scott Peterson with early coverage of the war in Afghanistan and the way in which uh, segments would be like heavily weighted towards Scott and Lacey um, and their their son, Connor, at the expense of coverage of the war. And I think that was like an interesting way to say, like, we are also being given some of this content to look at so that we don't look somewhere else. And, and I think there are layers of complicity to this that we all have to think about. But I also know that like in Britney's lifetime, the consolidation of the media into like bigger hands, but fewer of them, like that has a huge impact on this as well. Like she could have never predicted that this would happen. <gasps> Scott Peterson hit on someone in this chat. Oh my God. Jennifer Burge, a- tell us all. We got to talk about the cake, but like. Okay. While everyone's getting their cakes together, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, We're not just, us. I will cake, get my cake. I will show my cake. Maybe my assistant will help me do that. Okay, I just have to tell my Scott Peterson story. Yes. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm from Florida. Insert joke here. But I um, grew up in Tampa, and I this was, like, right out of college, so, like, early aughts. And I was at a fundraiser for the aquarium, and this dude comes up to me. I have no idea who he is. Like, I... My Us Weekly subscription obviously had lapsed. And oh um, 
and he was like totally hitting on me. It's a, and then a friend of mine came up to me and was like, that's Scott Peterson. And I was like, ah, disgusting. And like the shit was still pretty, excuse my language. I know there's young children here. Um, that's okay. It was still pretty fresh. Like it was still like in the papers and stuff. And I was super embarrassed. And um, I mean, I don't know why I was embarrassed, but yes. He, I totally had a maybe 15 minute interaction with Scott Peterson in person. And um, I've never shared that story. So thank you for giving me an opportunity. Oh my, thank you. Uh, I don't, thank you. What do we even say to that? I mean, I'm lucky you're alive. Are you okay? okay. Daddy, okay? Addy, are you okay? Yeah, I don't. Oh my God. Yeah, I. I mean, this is yeah. probably like not a great time. I mean, if it was like, when was he arrested? Someone asked like how often, how long after he was arrested, uh, he was obviously out of jail. So, um, yeah. but it was still oh. like, the case was still pretty active. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, out and about have it at a freaking party. Like, come on, dude, like lay low. Right. They all do that. They all do that. Like we, we have, we have women on this call who have survived the great depression. I'm looking at you, Kit. We have self-emancipated wow. women, Addie, and still we can be shocked. We have some brave men who have decided to attend the event this evening. And, you know, it's oh, like really we? nice that they're here. Um, oh, <laughs> your Elvis bobblehead. Elvis um, bobblehead. Wow. Thank you for that story. This is truly wild. I will say my brother lives in Tampa. I will be like raising some alarm bells just to keep everyone safe. Of course. That's all I'm going to say. Of course. Yep. I hear you hundred percent. I'm lucky that I'm very happy to hear that you're safe and that you're here tonight and we won't get into feelings about whether or not Scott Peterson did it because he did do it. But I know that there are people who disagree with that assessment and I, you know, I don't want to like start a war at a birthday party because, you know, even though Molly might do that, I'm going to try to have a little bit more, manners we'll see um and in you telling that story my assistant who will not be appearing on camera this evening <laughs> did bring over our cake i don't know if you guys Ooh. can see this but it says free britney miss victory she's the real Vic- miss victory and this is a 1930s era depression um recipe for chocolate cake and then a chocolate frosting recipe um which I've not dipped into yet because for a lot of reasons I wanted to show it and my Girl Scout cookies arrived yesterday. So like I did have a pre-dessert before this dessert. So like, that's just where I'm at in my life right now. Um, but does anyone want to kind of share photos or like show their dessert on camera to us and, you know, or just share like what this process was like, did it taste really bad? I know that we had a couple people I was messaging with our friend, Allison Lang last night, who's been on the show and she made a recipe for frosting from a 1950 Betty Crocker cookbook, which is the one that Fluffy got for a wedding gift and gave to me. And she was just like straight up, never make this frosting. It's really bad. I don't know. Don't worry. I won't. I buy my frosting in a can because that's my, that's my choices. That's where I'm at. Yeah. The feedback that we got was sort of like, don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't do these it. Recipes. Uh, don't, don't try to do this. Um, it is sort of striking how the same, the same kinds of recipes would get sent out over and over across the country um, of people trying to do what we would think of as like hacks um, and someone shared a, a wonderful British TikTok, which I have the link to, and I, I can drop in the chat or we can post with notes for this. Um, and part of it is like, you're recreating a recipe from a time of scarcity and you're making substitutes. Um, someone asked if we're showing off desserts. Yes, we absolutely we sure are. are. We certainly welcome that. And somebody else is saying that they worked on the USS Intrepid and made World War II naval cakes, which were vegan and delicious. So that sounds amazing. And we could put together some recipes to share out if people are interested. And someone else recommended the cookbook American Cake, which someone else, I don't know if it's the same person, forgive me if it is, recommended on our Discord channel, which I've been meaning to check out. So I will look into that. But, you know... So the the tip we didn't follow with this was the official Molly planning guidance that someone shared with us was to have your friends use ration books, which feels a bit like cosplaying 
and like minimizing poverty, which we are not going to recommend, I don't think, but it was like, give your friends rations and like, see how it goes. It reminded me of that news story a couple months ago of the school that rewarded like good behavior with um, basically ration tickets to students to go shop at a school grocery store. And it's like, I'm sorry, just give kids food. Like, please stop with this like punishing or criminalization of people without access to um, what they need. I'm going to start to share some links in the chat. That was a trench cake recommendation. Which kitchen is Mary in? That's a great question. That's a great question. Here I am. I live in Miami. Um, I'm in South Miami, kind of between things right now. have some roommates, um, Sophia, Rose, Blanche, Dorothy. Um, this is a real photo of an interior di- designer who... Um, recreated the golden girls kitchen with things she could find now. So anyway, I view this as iconic and aspirational, and this is what I use as my preferred zoom background, but it would surprise you to learn how many people think this is my house. And I don't correct them because (laughs) the real answer is too sad. Um, you know, for anyone out there who cares, like I'm a Sophia and Allison's a Dorothy and like make whatever deductions from that you will, but that's just, where we're all at. And I don't know how you all identify. I'm looking, I'm looking at, um, friends, feline friends who've joined us. I'm, I'm very much in awe of people who are in camera. Um, folks wouldn't notice, like I'm never on camera. So it's, it's like a little surprising I'm on camera for this. It's like a Royal sighting. Can we get a sighting of Ray Allison? Cause I did hear him before. Um, Ray, Ray has chosen to abdicate. He is hiding. Okay. Um, I've suspected we heard him. So before Ray was like properly like Ray, Raymond is my cat. Um, we've suspected that Raymond is actually a misogynist. Um, back when I used to have a different Hard. job and I wore dresses and skirts a lot, he would leave me alone if I wore those. And if I put on pants, he would claw down my legs. So he's since gotten out of that habit. But there's something about Raymond that suggests like uh, um, some some deep misogyny of another time. He's working through that. Wow. He, Raymond is excluding himself from this narrative. Yes, he is. Do we all think, based on things we've read, that um, Crossroads is about to have its own glitter moment? Because I've been reading now that Shonda Rhimes and others, since the Free Britney documentary came out, um, are basically trying to mount a campaign to get it re kind of like people to re engage it in the way that glitter sort of, I'll say, made a comeback. I mean, I don't know if that's a fair, the soundtrack for glitter is an A, the movie is not, (laughs) and that's hard, but that's where I'm at with that. But, um, thank you, Terry Shonda, Shonda rhymes beloved by all wrote the screenplay for crossroads. It was like one of her first big breaks, so to speak, didn't end up the way she thought it would, but it also stars, um, Pensatucky from orange is the new black, Justin long, sorted others um i like to be called mimi as a nickname and it was the first thing i ever saw that had a character named mimi um you know that's what stayed with me through time but yes people some have asked oh yeah zoe zaldana how could i possibly forget i associate her associate her with like actually respectable fair so i guess maybe that's why (laughs) i was like out of respect but yeah this would be an awesome watch along so for those of you who are in the patreon if that's something of interest let us know we love watching stuff as a group so that would be fun although i've checked and it's not streaming anywhere so i'll have to just commit to renting it but you know I think it's worth it. One of the great cultural artifacts of our time. I do think Britney Spears is a really good actress. I'm just going to say that. Been watching some of her SNL skits. There's a great one where she plays Skipper and Amy Poehler plays Barbie. Oh. Worth checking out. But, you know, so I hope for her. I, I wonder, like, what the Britney future, what the future holds for Britney Spears. And I don't know. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it will get better. I think part of the the power of this documentary is it doesn't, I think it shouldn't offer definitive conclusions. Like none of us knows, right, what actually happens in the privacy of our household. No one knows what's happening in inside her mind. But I think part of what it shows you is, you know, I, I will say just as we've made quite a few assumptions about what was happening in the Mrs. Valerie Tripp household, you know, we all make assumptions about where we think art and artists are and how they live in the world. And we don't really know right? Like people ask us, are you two going to actually like spend time with her? And it's like, we can't, it's gone too far. Valerie trip. Yes. 
Oh my God. She probably has her pictures up at her house and is like, if you see any of these people, like call someone, it's not safe. No. I mean, I did search her on Cameo, Allison, just to see if like she's out there. Like I would be too afraid to place an order. I'd have to have Anna do it or a pseudonym, but she's not on there. I mean, I would pay, I would pay a lot of money not for a Cameo, but for just some like hard questions to get answers. So I think at this point too, it's like, we are, we, you know, like the artist is dead, right? Like Valerie Tripp is very much alive and thriving, but like, I I think part of what's even happened within the American girl universe is you look at someone like Samantha and there's different people coming in and remixing the stories. The Molly supplementals were written so long after the original books. Like they, they truly are different characters in some ways. And the way that like we've remembered certain things about her I am going to hold on to my memory of Molly's birthday party because it serves me more than the reality that she's a brat and unaccommodating to a refugee. Wow. Tough talk. Tough I will process fair. it all later, but. You know, I probably will not process the movie that we watched, which is the episode that's going to drop tomorrow as we watched the Molly movie, which about which we had lots to say. And so that's probably one of the most traumatic things that I've seen associated with this. But yeah, I mean, it's sort of like you have the memory of your first reading experience of a series or a book in your mind and you treasure that. And then if you revisit as an adult, it's a completely different experience. And I think it's one of those things of adulthood where we can hold both of those feelings at the same time and just sort of appreciate both for wildly different reasons um yeah but Valerie Tripp explain yourself I don't know like a lot of feelings going forward I did look for Ashanti on Cameo just to make sure she was safe have her check in with us but you know she's not on there I assume she you know she's got a lot of brand endorsements going on right now happy for her she's the only survivor of Firefest and uh by tangentially and you know maybe JLo's like recording a new album and she's got a lot of work to do but um you know, that's, that's exciting, but you know, we've been thinking about Brittany's future and really now it's like, I'm excited for our future, for the show's future, because as you said at the beginning, we have, we've reached the end of what you and I know. Um, so now we're kind of, we have a couple more Molly things that we're going to do a couple more Molly episodes Mm -hmm. we're really excited about. Um, but you know, we can't wait for moving through all the dolls. So for those who have asked, we have no plans of stopping. We're just going to keep going now. And, you know, I can't wait for that. Yeah. And we love when you send us ideas. Uh, someone actually sent the idea today of us to think about, you know, the way that TikTok is both a vehicle for learning history and the way that it's also like pretty viciously spread the notion that Helen Keller was was not real or that Helen Keller was not actually um, a disabled person. So like people, people send us all these different concepts. And I know I always say like, I'm screenshotting this. I really do so that we can remember them and, and try to do them. So can you believe, Allison, when the show started, neither one of us knew what TikTok was? You know, I can believe it. I, I sort of wish for my brain that I could I could go back to there. But then I remember, you know, films are two hours long. So if I watch two hours of TikTok, it's really not so different. Wow. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of an interesting... Um, I think it's like a lot of subcultures where um, TikTok moves very fast. So if you're not on it frequently, you're not you know, necessarily getting everything. And I, I earnestly look forward to the day when I just never think about it again. Think about TikTok? Yeah. Wow. That's fair. Um, but you know, how else would I know about what's happening on Sister Wives and, you know, force me to get back involved in a franchise that I know will only hurt me, but here we are. That's pandemic times. Um, so if anyone has any other cakes or things they want to share or questions to ask, we'd love to do that. And then we want to, you know, maybe wrap up for the evening and just thank you all so much for being here because like we said at the outset, this community is such a wonderful surprise in our lives and has meant so much to us. And, you know, we just so appreciate all of you. It's been such a weird time in this pandemic. There's so many, like, I'm feeling like I'm hitting a wall with it. Um, but this space, like whether we're all talking online or here, um, is a really nice way to kind of deal with that. And, you know, I was just so touched at like even getting married during a pandemic. I had multiple listeners reaching out to me, offering to help. And, you know, that meant so much to me. So thank you so much, all of you, seriously. 
And thank you for, for asking logistical questions, existential questions like why the sister wives don't leave Cody. We can't answer all of we them. We can't but answer that. We but love that you continue to ask them. We I can. mean, you know, the Venn diagram of his hair, uh, JT's hair, a, a bowl of ramen noodles. It's it's troubling. It's it's the Olympic rings. You know, I had this beautiful moment tonight where I turned it on before this and I got to watch Anna see Cody for the first time. <sighs> yeah. I, and I say this with like, I... I love that show. Yeah. I love the way that they explain their relationships. I'm watching, like, I'm sure the numbers of people logged into this have just, like, plummeted. People are, like, like absolutely everyone. not not dealing with this. Um, so thank you so much, everyone who's tuned in with us tonight. We've had so much fun talking about Brittany and basically everything in between. Thanks to those who have shared your own experiences, Scott Peterson related or not. Thanks to everyone who's, you know, we're lucky you're alive. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your dolls with us. They were so awesome to see, truly. I think Allison is like super jealous and will now be hopping on eBay <laughs> as soon as we wrap. Um, and, you know, please be in touch with us whenever we do love to hear from you. And we'll see you again real soon. If you enjoyed kind of this style episode, maybe we'll do another one sometime. Yes, thank you. Thanks for keeping us in your, your ears and your pockets. We appreciate you so much, truly. So thanks and have a great night, everybody. We'll see you soon.